Hello, I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And I'm Dr. Akiva Daum. And, and welcome, welcome to Interesting, Interesting Questions. I am a rabbi with ordination from Yeshiva University and a doctorate in education. I have a medical degree with specialization in general and addiction psychiatry. In this podcast, we will seek to take different questions that come up in the Torah and evaluate them from a psychological standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. Please note that in many of these situations, we will be looking at things that may be viewed as controversial. It is specifically to bring about questions that many people have had and bring in to light different levels of evaluation and it'll get people to think about things in a different way. Welcome to uh, Parshat Chukat, and we we begin with Paraduma. Avi, they it it says in the very beginning that Elazar, the Kohen, will have certain responsibilities. Specifically, names Elazar the Kohen. Then it goes into. Whichever Kohen happens to be doing something, whichever individual is pure or impure, and so on and so forth, as if to suggest this is something that we will do for generations to come, for the perceivable and foreseeable future, and here we are, 2021, and for quite some time now, we have not been in this practice. So help us see the the lesson and, and, and why the language is, perhaps, where it is. Why are we naming and then all of a sudden not? Sure. So I'm going to suggest that the reason that Elazar gets named specifically is because this is a major event, right? The idea of Paraduma, the red heifer, which was uh, a very rare, it meant that, that this heifer had to have red hair, right, which is a, an exceptionally rare thing, and could only have a couple of hairs that were of a different color. It had to not have any blemishes, and it was then uh, brought as a carbon, and the entirety of it was burnt, and all of its ashes were collected and could then be used to make people who were impure, pure. And you would think that because this is such a... a um, important and B, rare option, you'd have the most qualified person running this. Well, the most qualified person would be the Kohen Gadol, his father, Aaron. But there's a catch. The catch is as follows. Whoever prepares the para aduma, they themselves become impure for the day after they have prepared it. And therefore, Aaron can't do it because otherwise he will be impure and therefore unavailable for everyone else who needs him. It therefore goes to the second in command, who is Elazar. And therefore, this tells us two things. One, it tells us why it names Elazar. It also helps us understand because, uh, spoiler alert, later in this Parsha, um, Aaron is going to pass away, and Elazar is chosen as his replacement. And we might ask, why Elazar? First of all, he had two older brothers who were Kohanim who died earlier. 
what made the third child ready for this. Um, and he had a brother who was still alive, Itamar. And maybe Itamar should have become the Kohen Gadol after, after Aaron. But what we see here is that Eleazar took on that role and became the second, you know, the, the, the skan, the, the second in command, so to speak, for Kohanim. And so we see that this is a role he took on and was trusted with not just by Aaron or even by Moshe, but by Hashem as well. Is it used for generations? I will argue that it is. We may not have access to it today, but if you think about an entire cow that's being burnt and the ashes that come from that, that's pretty significant. And we know that the ashes of the para aduma were used for many years following this particular event. And so it wasn't just Elazar, because again, at some point, Elazar is going to become the Kohen Gadol. And so it was other Kohanim who would do the procedure to make people who were Tamei Tahor, to make people who were impure, pure again. Um, and so therefore, it was other Kohanim who were using it. At some point, they talk about, even in the time of the Talmud, that they were looking for this, for a para aduma, there was a need for another red heifer, right? Um, and, and so perhaps someday in the future, we'll have access to that again, and we'll be able to become pure again and bring karbanot and things like that in the Beit HaMikdash, assuming we're supposed to bring them. Um, but at the moment, we do not have access to the para aduma, so we all have a level of impurity. Um, and that's unfortunate, but the situation in which we live today. So in this week's Parsha, we see that Miriam dies and the people complain because the well that had followed her around stops producing water. And so Moshe is told to go speak to the rock and water will come out. And instead, Moshe goes and hits the rock. And this is the famous story of Moshe hitting the rock instead of speaking to it. And therefore, he is punished and told he and Aaron cannot enter the land of Israel, Eretz Israel. And the question becomes, you know, commentaries suggest that perhaps part of the reason that he hit the rock was because in a previous incident, when there was no water, he was told to hit the rock. And another commentary that is famously taught to children is, you know what, Moshe was one of the greatest leaders of all time, and a prophet, and he should have known that when God said, speak to the rock, that didn't mean hit it, that meant speak to it. And therefore, even though this seems like a minor mistake, when you're Moshe, there are no minor mistakes. And therefore, he is punished with this penultimate punishment of not being able to go into Eretz Israel. So let me ask you, Akiva, is it fair to say some people should be held to this higher standard where we can say, yes, um, while other people might make this mistake and it would be acceptable, someone else would make the same mistake and it would be unacceptable because of their status. 
Yes. I think that absolutely our the expectations that are held for us and the consequences for the mistakes we make are absolutely based on a gradient scale. Um, if I prescribe the wrong medication, it's really bad, right? People can get very hurt. I'm trained. I should know better. And therefore, the law says that I am liable. Avi, let me ask you, if you give your child Tylenol when they have an upset stomach and you didn't give them an antacid, does anything bad happen? Could upset their stomach more. Maybe, but but, but nothing, you know, and nobody would, everybody would say, oh, so you didn't know any better, you should have asked the doctor. Right? Similarly, if I happen to teach something to someone, uh, I don't know why I would be teaching uh, halacha, but let's say I was, or, or even, you know, we've had discussions before where I've made a, a statement and, you know, you have, you have caught me on, on a mistake and, and something that I didn't understand in the correct way. And I would argue that it's more okay for me to not know than it is for you because you have that additional training and, and smicha. So I think absolutely understanding that means that based on our knowledge base, we're held to a different standard. Now, I suppose the follow-up question would be, well, what if everybody has the same knowledge base because we, we, we say that those who are holier should be held to a higher standard, which is the case where I believe this, this is what that comes from. Similarly, we have the same thing. Adults are held to different standards than children, and children are all different. And even at the same age, if you have a certain level of maturity, right? How do we, what comes with that? Oh, you should know that. You're supposed to be more mature by now. And they might say, yeah, but my friends are doing it. Well, you're supposed to know better than your friends. I expect you to be more mature. Um, so, so absolutely, we, we tacitly hold people to a standard based on where they're at. Now, I suppose the second question, which you didn't ask, would be, is it fair to hold somebody to an impossible standard? The short answer is no. The longer answer is, who knows whether or not, in the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, was that an impossible standard? Someone who can have face-to-face -face conversations with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, maybe we could argue that, yeah, you're supposed to hear and you're supposed to listen, you're supposed to do as you're told. And it is the expectation, not an impossible standard, that you're going to do exactly as you're told. I think that maybe that's not unreasonable given what the relationship is between Moshe and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that sounds a lot like the answer of the Ramban, who points out that uh, the real problem here was not that Moshe hit the rock, but rather that 
he made it look like it was not Hashem who was making the water come from the rock, which speaking to it would be a clear miracle. Rather, it, he, it, it made it appear as if it was a quasi-natural event, that by hitting the rock, and it actually says he hit it twice, that by hitting the rock the first time and a trickle comes out, you hit it harder, more water comes out, it makes it look like a much more natural event rather than a miraculous event. I don't know about that one. Um, I, I, I guess the question that I would have is, and obviously we know some of the answer because uh, Bnei Israel continue to complain to Moshe as if they don't realize that Hashem is there um, and continue to argue with Moshe as if they don't realize that Moshe and Hashem are kind of you know, working in the same plan. So I would like to think that anything that Moshe did was probably relatively clear that he was working as the instrument of Hashem. That being said, I guess if you were inclined to not believe the former anyway, then maybe you would say, oh, see, this is normal. You just hit a rock and water comes out. Okay, so so I could see where that might be uh, an inadvertent offense, and but then I think you're falling into that category of unrealistic and unreasonable expectations. I think the realistic and reasonable expectation is if I'm taking the time to talk to you face to face, you better listen. So, Avi, in this Parsha, we not only see that Miriam passes away, but also Aaron passes away. And one of the things, it's very interesting when I'm reading this, and I'm thinking back to um, at the, the deaths of uh, Aaron's sons, we're told all of these things that we're not supposed to do, and thereby we kind of learn this is what you do and don't do when you're mourning. And yet, it very much reads, at least on the surface, like Miriam dies, Aaron dies, and we move on. We, we dress Eleazar and then, then there we go. And I'm sure it's, we, well, we know it's so much more than that, but I, don't, I, I wish you could shed some light, please, on... Why, why it is, not only what we should be learning specifically from their passing and what to do and what not to do, but perhaps also why it could be that what we learn through the negative instead of through these times. So, it's true. We have both of the deaths of Miriam and Aaron in this Parsha, and they are stark in the contrast between the two of them. Because you're correct that it seems that when Miriam dies, there is just this sort of hullabaloo, right? She's buried, and and then people start complaining that there's no water. Now, on the one hand, we can argue, well, when you're living in the wilderness, water is a very important piece, and therefore, for whatever reason, it seems that uh, they just don't they just don't mourn her maybe the way they should have. 
But when we look at the death of Aaron, what we see is something a little bit different, right? What we see is that he goes up to the mountain with Elazar, and the the clothing of the Kohen Gadol is put on Elazar, and then Aaron passes away, and Moshe and Elazar return. And what we see there is when the people realized what happened, right? It says, right, then the entire assembly saw that Aaron had, had perished. They wept for Aaron 30 days, the entire house of Israel. And so this teaches us about the idea of Shloshim, the idea that um, for great figures and for certainly for close family members, we, we don't just have Shiva, which is the one week of mourning. We actually have Shloshim, which is 30 days of mourning. Um, and that goes up, and then there's going above and beyond for, for our parents, which is 11 months. Um, but the, the real idea here is that when we look at how beloved Aaron was, we see how the people respond. And this is really the first funeral, and it is the model of the funeral for communal leaders. And so, for instance, we have a halacha that in general, we do not do funerals in a synagogue, except for communal leaders, right? And, and great, great rabbis and, and, and people whom the community as a whole respects. That comes from here. This idea of having shloshim, of having 30 days, which is not quite as intense mourning, but maybe more spread throughout the community and, and a communal sense of mourning, also comes from this idea of Aaron. Um, and, and in Perkei Avot, it expands upon Aaron's abilities, right? It says he was ohev shalom, verodev shalom, he loved peace and he pursued peace. And we are told the story that he would go to one person, he would tell them, I know you're fighting with person X, but he really wants to make up with you. And then he would go to person X and say, I know you're fighting with person Y, but he really wants to make up with you. And in that way, he would find a way to get them together and to uh, make things amicable between them again. And so people loved him for that. Uh, and so this loss was really a communal loss. And in that way, we do seem to see some of the halachot that can come out of death. Uh, Avi, in, towards the end of the Parsha, we, we go through an awful lot of, we went up to this place, asked if we could pass, no. And sometimes we went a different direction, and a couple of times we were told, go on right through. Hashem is with us. So, okay. Um, I guess it's... At this point, one has to imagine that even though there's no email and no internet and no news, um, 
there's news, word of mouth, and I have to imagine after this long, word of mouth might have gotten out of, did you hear about what those people did to Egypt? Um, or did you hear what happened to the Egyptians even? Or did you hear about those people who were, no, who were enslaved by Egypt and aren't anymore? Something, right? And, and yet, people come, and, and even if they know who we are, they still say, nah, there's still, nope, not going to happen. And what do, you, what do you make of that? What is the, some of it, there's a clear lesson, I think. And some of it, there seems to be less of a clear lesson. And I'll, and I'll contrast the two, you know, we, we know about uh, Og and, and we know about uh, Sihon, and yet in Edom, you know, we're, we're told, no, we go around. And wh- where's the lesson to be learned more so from Edom than, than the other ones, obviously? So Parshat Chukat is a really interesting Parsha in the sense that the commentaries generally agree that somewhere in here, there's a time warp. Because when we left the Jews at the end of Korach, we're about two, two and a half years into the wanderings in the desert. When we finish Parshat Chukat, we're about 38 years into the wanderings in the desert. And so, interestingly, it doesn't tell us that. It just tells us they move from place to place. It doesn't tell us how much time passed. And so would some of these people know what they did to Egypt? Maybe. But hey, that was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. We don't really remember, or maybe we don't really even believe it. You're just some random big group of people who are walking through the wilderness. And I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about what the Torah is not. The Torah is not a book of history. The Torah is not a book of science. The Torah is a book that focuses on moral and legal expectations and stories. And so the idea that the Torah doesn't talk about, well, and 38 years later, or what happened during those 38 years, right, is because how much time went by may not be relevant, right? It doesn't impact the, the moral or legal components of the story. And, you know, when my students ask me, well, did this happen or did that happen? One of my favorite lines is, I'm sure that Moshe went to the bathroom, and yet the Torah never tells us that, probably because it's not important. Right? There are lots of things that the Torah leaves out because they're not important. They're not part of our legal or moral compass, compass and, and, and history and, and being and makeup. And therefore... This is yet another component of that. 
And so this idea that they traveled from this place to that place to this place gives us a sense of where they went. We don't know necessarily how long they were in each place. But eventually, the idea that they went someplace and they asked, can we walk through? And if we use anything here, we'll pay for it. And sometimes the answer was yes. Sometimes the answer was no. Sometimes they'd say, well, we're either going to come through or we're going to fight you. Right? The idea that if you come out and fight us, if you just say no, we'll walk around. But if you come out and fight us, we have to fight you back. Right? All of those go to the legal and moral implications of having an army. And I think this is, again, one of those moments where we can point out that when you go to Israel, the name of the Israeli army is the Israel Defense Force, the IDF. And in Hebrew, it's the same thing. Israel, the force that defends Israel. It is not an offensive force. It is a defensive force. It is there to protect Jews in Israel and around the world. And so this idea that our laws of war and our laws of what we can and cannot do come from the Torah because that is the purpose of the book. It isn't a history or a science book. So a lot of Parshat Chukat is focused on how we deal with cleanliness and loss and change and accepting the answers that were given. And so last week we had a bit of a lighter Shabbos table talk. Uh, I guess what I think is important to talk about at the Shabbos table, what I would ask for you to discuss at your Shabbos table this week, is how do you handle when things happen and maybe don't go the way as planned and you have to adjust Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.